Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Okay, folks, are you ready? On the start orders. Hello and welcome to the Ruler Podcast. I'm Ian Parkinson and we're at the London Club Roller Racing Championships in South London. Teams from across the capital are taking part in the contest organised by Rollerpalooza, even the team from Ruler Magazine. If you've never come across roller racing before, it involves riders or teams of riders competing against each other on specially built static bikes which measure time, speed and distance. If you're still struggling, think of it as a kind of pre-digital Zwift. Casper Hughes of uh, Rollerpalooza, what's the idea behind the uh, London Club Championships then? Just to find the fastest club in London is quite a simple premise, really. So um, we've, we've got a wonderful relationship with Condor that stretches back more than a decade, and I basically just tapped up Grant and said, this is what I want to do, I want to do it in spring when there isn't an awful lot other cycling stuff going on, you know, the cycling, the cross season is just coming to a close. People haven't got quite as much impetus to do other stuff and I thought this might give it their season a good kick start basically so it's, it's yeah, simply just to find the fastest club in London. Although Rollerpalooza has been going a relatively short time, actually the kind of history of static bike racing, of roller racing uh, especially in London, goes back a long way doesn't it? Yes, so after the Second World War I think that was the decades after the Second World War were, was where it was at its peak there were professional roller racers in, in, including, including Herne Hill's very own Eddie Wingrave who spent most of their cycling career earning money roller racing. Um, There's a a, a load of reasons why that was. It was um, a a good, cheap working-class sport where the equipment could be brought by, you know, the event entertainers, and then people could just get up out of the crowd and hop on and race the pros, basically. And it it went on on in between cinemas. Sometimes it was the focus of the event. It went with dancing bands. It was, you know... it was very popular in its day. Why did you decide to revive it sort of in the early 2000s? I was a cycle courier in London for uh, it's a, a decade I look back very fondly upon. And um, one of the couriers went to the Courier World Championships in Zurich in 1999, where they had a, a static trainer bike race that was actually sponsored by a beer company called Gold Sprints. Um, and that's what roller racing is called in the States it's called gold sprints and he saw it going on there came back to London and said this is amazing this is what we saw and we decided to hire Catford's rollers and stuck it on in a pub in Clerkenwell a bunch of couriers turned up got absolutely drunk out of their skulls and we raced each other basically and that's 
that was in 19, that was in 2000. Uh, did you have to have the equipment sort of specially made? Presumably there weren't that many sets around. The stuff we use now is all made to our design. So, you know, there, there wasn't, there were about four good manufacturers. The, the best one is uh, Borelli, which was made in Coventry. <laughs> And um, they're, they're the rarest ones and the smoothest ones uh, and the most delicate ones. But, um, yeah, so basically what we've done is a number of different manufacturers' equipment has ended up in our workshop and we've pinched bit, the best bits from all of them um, and we now make our own. Well, we've made our own for years. And the chances of the uh, ruler team being anywhere near the podium by the look of them? By the look of them? Oh, <laughs> you're going to laugh, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> the podium doesn't go down to 16. <laughs> OK, we have Ruler on the bikes at the moment. Ruler? OK, Ruler, are you ready to race? And to start as long as guys. Three, two, one. Go, 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 go. Come on, pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. So I am with at least part of the uh, Ruler roller racing team. Uh, I'm with Andy McGrath, editor of Ruler, and executive editor Ian Cleverly. Uh, are you both riding tonight? Just one of us. Uh, not quite recovered from my 13-second effort showing how pitifully unfit I am. Uh, but it was good fun. And I'm, I, I'm on management duties, obviously, uh, which involves uh, uh waving towels, uh, getting drinks, uh, mostly beer variety and yeah it's going fine going fine i think ruler is the only team here with a soigneur and you've got you know qualifications you've got form of, as being a soigneur haven't you no absolutely i mean we're taking this seriously we're not here just to make up the numbers your time was 13 seconds something uh, which uh, which is not bad um but 13 seconds doesn't sound very long but it, it, it does feel uh, pretty long when you're up there doesn't it it, it flew by, but I got off and I was kind of seeing stars. I was like, this this shouldn't be. I, I need to do more cycling. And the people doing 10 seconds, 10 seconds flat, hats off to them. Fair play. Now, ruler issue 18.1 is in the shops now. We'll talk about it in a minute. Um, it's still a fairly quiet period in pro cycling at the moment, isn't it? I think uh, as we're recording, the Tour of Dubai is underway with a win for Cavendish today. Yeah, it, that's been a kind of hectic sprinter's race. I'm always wondering how much store to put in the first month of racing, you know, Australia, Argentina, away from the European mainland. I suppose it, it's all about building building momentum. You don't want to start badly for sure. Like, I think Nibali went to San Juan in Argentina and didn't even start the first stage. He had gastroenteritis or something like that, something horrible. And that is the worst start you'd possibly have. Like he'll be chasing, chasing a little bit of form. I think it's also a good, a good, good uh, time of the effort, tearing up your 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 predictions. So so, just at the point when I was going, I I can't see Viviani winning any sprints this year. He he just won one yesterday. So okay, you know, fair enough. Hats off. In Ruler 18.1, a couple of articles which really uh, grabbed my attention. The first one, the uh, Swain Tuft, um, who is uh, a very unusual pro cyclist, isn't he? Well, apart from being 40 plus, or in that that ballpark, I can't remember exactly. He started in his 30s, didn't he? He started in his mid-30s. He started late. It may sound like a bizarre thing to say, but he's so Canadian. His whole kind of world view is just right out there. It's 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 way to 
the side of, of how most professional cyclists approach approach life. Richard Abraham, who who wrote the piece, got in touch with them and you know kind of basically said, "I I, I hear you like to go barefoot trekking in the mountains and." dipping in, in, in freezing cold ice pools and all this stuff, you know, can we go along and do it? And, and he was totally up for it. And he was fantastic. I just, I just, just such an intriguing man. And we also got the perfect photographer for it, Michael Bland, whose tremendous book on the, on the mountains, it just made him the, the ideal man for the job. So as a piece, I just, it works on every level. It's really nice. Yeah, it's an extraordinary life story. And it's his last season as a pro, isn't it? I think yeah, there aren't that many eccentric pros coming through. I think they all seem to be stamped out of a very similar mould now, don't they? Perhaps, yeah. I think it's hard to beat those stories, you know, fighting off wolves with a hockey stick, uh, being at the top of a mountain camping in, I think, 100 mile an hour winds or something like that, which is all in the story. It's just nice because... Understandably, so many pro cyclists are really they're living uh, kind of every season. They're so fixed on on that, and that's fair enough. But he sees that cycling is just a chapter along the way. It is just a ten, fifteen, twenty year period, and it's still a passion as well. That's the other thing that he will still go around on his like bomb proof uh, mountain bike. I think that will fit like any kind of tire, road, cross, whatever. That's really nice to see. It's almost like he became a pro cyclist by accident, didn't it? It's sort of a, it's one very small aspect of his life. He talks in the story about attending one of his early training camps and he cycled there from home 1,200 kilometres. That is special. You know, he's not, he's not doing that because he wants to get fit. He's doing that because I fancy doing this. It's a challenge. I'd rather do that than take a plane. Amazing. Yeah, it's a fascinating character and a, a really interesting story. The other, uh, one other uh, really interesting story is the uh, tour of Iran, um, Andy, which you wrote the words for some amazing pictures in the magazine. Yeah, well, originally I meant to go, but I was um, going on a trip to Las Vegas, <laughs> so I couldn't make it. It's Iran like or Las Vegas, really. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is, because um, Olaf Umberzart, our German photographer, did go, and I believe if you go to Iran, you're not allowed into the US for four or five years um, afterwards. It's one of those countries on the banned list. So it was a little bit of an FU to Donald Trump on uh, his behalf as well. It's so refreshing and so different to see a race like that. It, it's immediately, once you see the first few photos, so different to the European races that we know. You know, the landscape is so barren and bare. It's like 80 rider pelotons. And, it, and the nationalities are so many, like from Asia, Europe. There's David Rebelin, who's still going at 45, 46, 80, like, um, however old he is. But I think the nice thing was the riders recognised that too. They didn't just stay shut in their hotel. They got outside and saw the place as well. It was almost um, a story that didn't really need many words. And I, I think we we actually... It did well to do it the way the way we did because we had so many great photographs and you know half of it's about Iran you know about the landscape about the culture it's not about the bike race and that should be you know that should be part of the story it looked great. The other story that really uh, stood out for me was Olivia Nielsen Julian's story on the uh, commissaire the Belgian commissaire road commissaire but the complexities of being a commissaire in a 
stage race or even a you know one day race like Paris Bay is extraordinary, and that comes across really well in the really well in the article, doesn't it? I think we watch a lot of football, me and Ian certainly, and it's kind of similar to the referee. Like if they do a good job, no one notices, no one commends them. If they put one foot out of line with a bad decision, they'll get slammed on social media by loads of mentalists. Um, and so it was really interesting seeing the process, like how they can pass, who they're behind, all the ins and outs. It's a pretty selfless job, isn't it? Because I'm thinking they don't make much money. Well, they certainly don't make as much as football referees. Well, as a guy says, as a guy who's called Guy says, um, uh, okay, they make a tenth of the money, but he's sat in a car all day. So at least he isn't running around, you know. Yeah, the complexities of when you can allow the team's uh, pass to uh, go up to their riders, if they're a breakaway, if they're in the breakaway, or, you know, if the riders start dropping off the back are extraordinary. And also the fact that nearly every DS is trying to pull a fast one on you, you know, in one way or another. That's right. You can't measure how sticky is a really sticky bottle. It's They must know. I mean, like 20 seconds, 40 seconds, there must be some kind of kind of after years you get that but basically everyone is pushing the rules to the limit now in cycling if they weren't before maybe it was more lawless 20 30 years ago who knows um so they have to be absolutely on it and they they can't show favoritism even though i'm sure many of them speak to the riders they have the same races same hotels that kind of thing it's a really hard job to have and as you say you know 20 30 40 years ago if you made a mistake commissaring in the mountains no one's going to see anyway um and most of the journalists are not going to report on it whereas now obviously your every move is uh scrutinized and covered and it's on social media within five minutes of its of its happening it's pretty thankless task it's a fascinating article you're probably nearly ready for your next heat very soon aren't you yeah i've got to go and uh tail the boys down and uh give them a quick rub and uh get another round in there's one more heat i think i think we're through Andy. i think we're through i think you are i think you have qualified it's the madison next oh for god's sake um, before we go, uh, get down, stay down. Anything that uh, has been really annoying you this week? One of the highlights of the week for me was uh, Richard Viranc saying that uh, the credibility of uh, cycling was being dragged through the uh, dragged through the mud by Sky. Which I'm not a huge fan of Chris Froome in the first place, but really, if uh, Richard Viranc uh, feels he can take the uh, moral high ground on on anything to do with uh, doping or cycling. It kind of shows us where we are, really, doesn't it? goes back to a little bit what you were saying a couple of podcasts ago about old pros sticking their nose in where it's not really wanted. But um, anything that's been upsetting you, Andy? Mine is the same thing, but it's Cyril Guimard saying that Team Sky picking Froome is a disgrace for cycling's reputation. It's just basically the hypocrisy of cycling never fails to shock me. This is a guy who, who tested positive twice. Um, who claimed that 90% of the bunch were on EPO in 98 when he was the team manager of Cofidis in 98. People are reading those articles and they're making judgments about Team Sky. I think you've got to treat all those with a, a pinch of salt. Like There's got to be someone who is cleaner in their career who can offer a more balanced opinion, maybe. Because otherwise, who next? Like, like Ricardo Rico to comment on Team Sky? And Chris Froome, like, it's, it's dangerous, really, I think. Ian? Uh, a minor Twitter spat from yesterday, which I, 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 I quite enjoyed, which was um, uh, my friends at Pro Cycling Stats caught, caught flack from, an, from an, another sort of 
cycling expert journo type saying you shouldn't you shouldn't put stuff like this in your twitter feed it's like it's unprofessional it's not funny blah 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 mate if you don't like it don't follow them simple as that what i don't like is people telling other people what they should put on their twitter feed if you don't like it don't follow it block it what you know whatever the process is but don't moan about it just 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 you know do you want do you want all the good stuff from pro cycling stats there you go suck it up and move on so I'll let you get back in the saddle. Um, what can bring a uh, breath of fresh air to uh, current cycling? Stuart Clapp, I imagine. <laughs> Shall we see if he's there? Stu? Stu? And we can now welcome the editor of Ruler's Desire section, Stuart Clapp, from his testing centre in Essex. Hello, Stu. What are you up to this week? Hi, mate. How are you doing? I'm. Uh, I, well, th- this week, I'm going back to my narcissistic sports pimp ways. Excellent. Um, and I'm going to talk about uh, clothing. It's a subject very close to my heart. Um, but yeah, I've uh, this week I've been wearing uh, the 1216 kit, um, the the Brian Holmes kit that came out. He launched the brand. Um, back last year, May 17. And actually, the first time I had a proper good look at it was at the Ruler Classic. And um, he very kindly said, uh, take away some kit. So I've, I've been wearing it, and it's it's really lovely. It's been made with Bioracer. Um, so, you know, Bioracer make a lot of kit for a lot of people. They make it very well. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying that. I'm enjoying that at the moment. And I really like particularly big fan of the uh, their winter jacket in that green color because a lot of the um, a lot of the stuff that's been out um, so far from 1216 has been a winter kit hasn't it or winter or sort of cold weather kit yeah it has it has which is um yeah the, the range at the moment it's, it's a men's and women's range it's, I, I spoke to a few guys recently and they were like that's oh, just men's but actually they do they do a women's line as well and it's it's which we'll maybe showing in the magazine at some point, but um, yeah, it's it it's that thick thermal um, fabric that they've used across the whole range. It's the Tempest stuff that Bioracer use, and um, it's waterproof and and thermal, which is uh, quite an interesting combination between the two, really. But um, yeah, I've, I've been wearing it a lot, yeah, especially the jacket because it's been pretty chilly. It's been pretty chilly here. The 12, 12 16 and, and Brian Holmes' comment of only ballet dancers wear tights has been a fairly divisive comment. That it's uh, it was quite inflammatory. People people have really really bitten hold of that, and um, they don't have a they don't have tights in their range. A lot of riders, obviously, they wear leg warmers as opposed to as opposed to tights. I'm not entirely sure why that is. Whether it's because riders go out when they're they're pros and they maybe live in a warmer country than Copenhagen, where which which is where 1216's from, and uh, or, or 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 Essex, um, as as the day warms up, they might, you know, they can whip the, the a leg warmer or a knee warmer off. Um, but yeah, from what I understood um, from Brian Holmes' interviews and him talking about it, um, he thinks that most people overdress. So they start off uh, warm enough for the temperature when they leave the house, but then if they're riding fast enough, um, they get too hot. And I think he says if you if you're cold out on a ride, 
um, then you're not riding fast enough, which is all right for him to say in many ways. Yeah, that, that's right. He, he, he can ride pretty quick, which is why 1216 is called 1216. It wasn't the original name for this brand. It was Brian Holm wanted to call it the Wolf Pack. But uh, Wolf Pack is also the name of a motorcycle club. And he was a little bit worried that people would be going out, you know, with Wolf Pack written all over their tops and then run into the other Wolf Pack. Um, but they might both be wearing cities. They, maybe they could talk about their shoes. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, so 1216 12, is actually, it was named, it's named from Brian Holmes' 10K record, which he set in. 1982, I believe. Um, yeah, it, it still stands today. It's, you know, that's 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 good going. If I'd have thought about this, I would have I would have worked out what the average speed of that is. Twelve sixteen for a for a ten k um, section. Yes, for a ten k section. I'm I'm sure there's a load of choppers that have done it with a tailwind on Strava, but um, in one direction. But uh, yeah, this is yeah this is um, yeah that's that's where the name comes from. In the summer, they're gonna do a 12.16 race where the opportunity is going to be there to, to, to beat Brian Holmes' record, which is pretty cool. That's, that's a pretty cool thing to do. As well as saying that he wouldn't uh, make uh, long tights because uh, tights are for ballet dancers, he's got some fairly strong views. He, 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 I think he recommends not wearing gloves um, until it's minus 13 or something, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah the, you, you, get, you get a lot of pros like that. I, I notice in some of their, their, their press shots where they, they haven't got overshoes on either. I don't know. I've if it toughens you up, if it if it makes me soft by putting overshoes on, then I'm then I'm soft. I can't have you can't have cold toes, and cold hands. I've, but you see you see other riders like Heinrich Hausler. He goes out. You can ju- you can tell how cold a race is when Heinrich Hausler puts some gloves on. You know, it's like everyone else but gloves. But yeah, they, I. <laughs> but then you also see other pros, especially from the slightly warmer countries who wrap up to ridiculous extents. I remember Alberto Contador um, came over and he did some sort of publicity thing down at Hearn Hill Velodrome. And it was a mild spring day, I think. Um, and he was wrapped up like it was minus 15 out there. He had scarf on, hat, long leggings, everything. <laughs> I, uh, I saw a few years back, I saw uh, Alex Dowsett out riding. And he, he was coming towards me down down the road the other way. And this is it was it was an early June morning. It was, you know, pretty warm. And I could see this guy coming towards me. This is back when he was at Team Sky. And I could see him in full Team Sky kit. And I sort of looked at my mate like oh, this guy full team. And then as he got closer, I was like, he wrapped up, well, oh, winter is it? We were sort of talking to each other. And then as he got closer, uh, I thought, oh morning Alex! I changed, I changed my tune because it was like, oh, right, oh, hang on a minute. Yeah, he's, he's got, uh, yes, uh, he's got every, every right to be wearing that. But pros do wrap up. Yeah, pro, pros do do tend to wrap up. But, you know, I, it, it's one of those things. I think we can debate this for a while. I spoke to, I phoned Matt Stevens last night and I said to him, Matt, I'm going to be, I'm going to talk about some winter kit. I actually did some prep for this one today, which is, uh, you know, I, I, we'll, we'll work out. We'll see how well that goes in a minute. But, um I said, what, what's, what's your opinion on, on degrees? I remember Teo um, tweeted a while back about not getting his legs out unless it was 18 degrees or something like that. So Matt was 19 degrees, your, your legs can come out, so you're in shorts. Between 12 and 18, knees. 
So uh, and and any anything else, your your leg your legs are covered up. So in this country, that that probably leaves you a gap of somewhere between the last week of July and the second week of August, and then that's it. You got to start wrapping up again. Um, so yeah, it's it's a very short window. It's a very short window, and we all want to tan. We all want to tan. So and uh, but you 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 do see the odd odd folk out at the moment with their legs out, which is. Which is madness. And the other thing is that most pros don't have enough body fat, do they? That's you know they need they need a bit of they need a bit of insulation. Yeah, absolutely. If you if you did those body fat percentages of of, of pro cyclists, although those body fat percentages apply to the generic population, I think the rock, like you know, massive bodybuilder, would be morbidly obese if he ended up on that. And a cyclist like I don't know someone like Froomey or Wiggins would have been like drastically underweight that would you know so yeah and cyclists yeah they they will be they will be affected more by the cold than someone who's carrying a bit more weight because there's not a lot of insulation going on there so yeah wrapping up is is probably quite key i'd say so you're a bit of a fan of uh, 1216 i also get the impression you've got a bit of a man crush on brian home as well yeah it's it's i have i have actually I met him for the first time. I've I'd spoken to him before that, but I'd, I'd met him for the first time at the Ruler Classic, and I thought he was cool. And then meeting him in in uh, in real life, he is really cool. He had time for everyone. You know, if someone came up for a selfie or wanted to talk to him about the brand or his team, or you know, he he made time for everyone. I thought that was a really cool thing to do. I kind of I kind of look at him like a. Uh, like in my, in my celebrity family, I think he would he would he would fit in it somewhere. I don't think he'd be the celebrity dad, however, because I've reserved that place for Bill Nye. So Bill Nye's my celebrity dad. I suppose. Well, I'm sorry, like, but uh, once again, we seem to have lost cool. contact with Stuart Clapp just as he was getting interesting. Um, well, that's yeah, it from this podcast. Thanks to Rollerpalooza and the Ruler crew who didn't Bill incidentally brother, come last. Catch you next time. So I'd like Brian Brian Holm to take me to school on the back of a motorbike. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.